All right, uh, this morning we are um, in Colossians. Last week we, well, we've been in Colossians for a long time. We're actually getting close to being done with Colossians. I think figure about three more, four more weeks. Um, we're in the section in Colossians starting at verse 18, um, which deals with perhaps the most practical application of Colossians and what's being taught in Colossians that you can possibly imagine. So without <clears throat> a lot of review, simply put in Colossians, the doctrine of Christ is, Christ is elevated because the church was tearing him down, the heresies. And we learn who Christ is, preeminent over all creation, preeminent over uh, everything. Uh, the one who from the church um, redeems the church and reconciles us to God and in him is our all in all. And uh, nothing else, uh, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him. So Christ is exalted. And then Paul switches our focus and says, if that's true, then some things should follow. And so the application section begins in chapter three, verse one. If Christ is who Colossians says he is, and if you haven't been here, read through the first part of Colossians. It's magnificent what is said about Christ. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Set your affections on the things that are above. Because in heaven is where Christ is, interceding for us, <coughs> interceding for us, and we are hidden with Christ in God, or in uh, hidden with Christ in God, and Christ is going to return and we're going to be with him. So our focus should be on our savior. And then he says, okay, what does that look like? And in chapter three, starting at verse five, he says, put to death, Therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Um, and it talks about on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Do not lie to each other, and so on. If you want to see what a Christian doesn't look like, it's that. Now. All of us are that sometimes. This is a process of walking by the Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to change us. But if we see those things in our life, then something is wrong. We're not focused on the Savior. And then he goes into what I consider to be just a magnificent passage where he talks about what we should look like. So starting in verse 12, put on then chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against each one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive, and put all, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, <clears throat> and let the peace of God, Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thankful with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, <clears throat> giving thanks to the Father through him. 
So we have this picture of what it is to be a believer. We are to have compassion. We are to be kind. We are to be humble. <clears throat> we are to be gentle. We're to be patient with each other. We're to bear with each other. We are to forgive each other. And we are to love each other. This is the outward working of, of the gospel in us, to be that. And then there are some attitudes that go along with it. The peace of Christ is to rule. And we are to let the word of God dwell in us. And we are to, as a result of this, we are to admonish and encourage each other. <clears throat> and we're to do everything for Christ, or all of this is for God's glory. And then overarching all of this, and you see it, everyone that's mentioned, is thankfulness. It says, let the word of God rule in you and be thankful. Let the, I mean, let the peace of Christ dwell in you and be thankful. Let the uh, rule in you, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and be thankful. Admonish, encourage each other and be thankful. It's mentioned three times in there. This, in a sense, is how we're gonna know if these things are true. If you're not a thankful person, then you probably don't have this happening, which means this isn't probably happening. Now, <clears throat> I'm sure all of us have this completely nailed down. Um, no, this is called the fruit of the Spirit. This happens as a result of the Spirit working himself out in us. And that's why when it says put off and put on, there's also walk in the flesh, walk in the Spirit. It means the same basic thing. Those are our choices. And so then we're gonna become incredibly practical because this looks really good and we can sort of fake this. But you know who we can't fake it with? The people closest to us. Um, it's, it's easy to kind of see that and say, oh, that's kind of good. And when I'm with people, I, I can be really kind to people. You know, somebody's driving on the freeway, I can let them in, you know, uh, maybe. I mean, maybe not, but, <laughs> but I can let them in. I can be kind sort of to people around me. Uh, I remember an uh, old saying, I don't know where it came from, but somebody said, um, <clears throat> I love humanity. It's people I can't stand, <laughs> okay? Uh, this is good in practice in this big, broad scope. But immediately he moves to husbands and wives. And we talked about that last week. And then he goes to children and parents, actually fathers, but we'll put parents there. And then he goes to uh, slaves and masters. <clears throat> and last week we dealt with husbands and wives. And the Bible was just real clear. Um, our culture is totally contrary to this. Husbands are to love their wives, not just love in a emotional way, but love how? As Christ loves the church and gives himself for her. And the wife is to submit. Why? because that's the order that God established. Not because 
women are less than men. In fact, the principle here, of course, the overarching principle is this is a picture of Christ and his church. That Christ loves the church and gives himself for her, the church submits to Christ. But I think there's a, a, a overarching picture as well that this models what Christ actually did and that helps us to understand the idea of um, the equality between men and women. It's not that the wife is somehow less than the man um, or that the, the man is superior to her, his wife. That's not the case. This is God's choice. Because what we have here is the picture of Christ and his church here, but with the submitting, we see a picture of Christ with his father, where Christ submits completely to the will of God. And yet, the Father and the Son are equal. And as we said last week, there's just a little review, neither of these are easy, right? It is not easy for the husband to love his wife as Christ loves the church. And it's not easy for a wife to submit to her husband as Christ submitted to God. It wasn't easy for Christ to submit to his father and isn't it easy for Christ to love his church either. This is what God says is the pattern. Now, <clears throat> I wanna move on today and look at both of these because it occurs to me that Paul squeezes all of this down in just a few verses. We'll read the other part. So I wanna look at the big picture and then you guys can tell me afterwards if we wanna spend more time with any of these, we can. But I think the main idea is that what Paul is doing is spelling out our responsibilities when it comes to relationships. And what is significant is he never, ever, ever mentions what your rights are in the relationship. Never once. And that is totally foreign to us, right? because we're Americans, right? What's really important? We have a bill of rights that tells us how we can behave or how the government can behave. And if somebody, something happens, what's the first thing somebody says? My rights were violated, okay? Now, just so you know, I, I think it's okay when it comes to the government to expect that they do what they're supposed to and to expect our rights. Okay, I don't have any problem with that. I'm not trying to make a political statement here. Paul did that. You remember in the Philippian jail? Philippian jail, um, the, the, um, they beat Paul and who was with him? Whoever was with him. They beat Paul and his companion, probably Silas, and they, they put him in prison and they're singing in prison and there's the earthquake and then, but at the next morning, they decide we wanna let these people go. So they bring Paul and they say, um, uh, you can go. And Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen and you put me in prison and you beat me and you're just going to send me off? You have something to answer for here. Paul expected his rights from the government. But we're not dealing with the government here. We're dealing with relationships, husbands, wives, children, parents, slaves, and masters. Husbands are expected to love their wife as Christ loved the church regardless of who she is and how she acts, right? And wives are expected to submit their, to their husband no matter what sort of jerk he is, okay? 
I can say that about the men because <laughs> I know us, okay? Uh, the, the point being that you don't look at the other and say that person's not doing what they're supposed to. Therefore, I don't have to do what I'm supposed to. And that's really foreign to our way of thinking. Um, I, I was at a men's meeting uh, right after Christmas. I was on vacation, so a friend of mine said, would you like to go along with me to this meeting? And I could do it, because I wasn't in school. And the men were all talking about Christmas. It was a unique perspective. None of them like it. Well, these are all Christian men, by the way, because their wives and their children are on vacation, and they're not but their wives and their children treat them like they're on vacation. So there's all these honeydew things to do and all the rest. I don't have that experience because I'm a teacher, I'm off. So uh, to me, it's just vacation. But to them, it's like everybody else is on vacation and they're expecting the, him to do more work. you know. And one of them was complaining about the honeydew list. And then they kind of came to me and I said, well, I can't really relate to that. But it always, when the wife says, would you do this for me, right? There's just that little bit of you that says, ah. and I said, but you know what? That's how, and that's why I said, that's how we show and demonstrate love for our wives. And the, the leader of the group who, he said it tongue in cheek, he said, but what about all that stuff about your wife having to submit to you? And my response was, that's her problem. My problem, is how to love her. I do that job, and God says, that is, we're gonna see, pleasing, it is gracious in the sight of God. So let's go to children and parents, and I wanna keep this in mind, and by the way, there's a bunch of children here today, I don't know why, did Sunday school get canceled? Okay, I, I'm just curious, there was a bunch of kids, so it's good that you're here, but we're not gonna spend a lot of time with this. You all know it. What's the responsibility of children? Obey. What else? Honor. Obey and honor your children. Put your finger in Colossians and in Ephesians. If you have a bookmark, put one in, in one. Let's read what it says. In fact, we should have read the whole passage already. I got talking too much. Start in verse 18. Chapter Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, work hardly as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly. Um, jump over to Ephesians. I just want to read the part there about parents and children. It's Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So children are to obey and honor. 
uh, why are they to obey and honor, apart from the fact that that's a responsibility? It is right. It is uh, fitting, it says. It pleases the Lord. And then when it comes to honoring, honoring has a promise with it. The promise is that you may, it will go well with you and you may live long in the land. By the way, that is a covenantal promise. That's not an individual promise. There are children who obey their parents who are taken young. There are people who are disobedient who live to a lengthy old age. This actually made in the Ten Commandments and it was a promise that covenantal blessing would continue to flow to the people. This is not individual. You see somebody die young, it doesn't mean they were disobedient to their parents, all right? So obey, honor why it's right, it's fitting, it pleases the Lord, and it is, uh, there's a promise associated with that, okay? So now the question, what happens if you have really, really bad parents? Still have to honor them, and unless they're asking you to do something which is contrary to God's principles, which will always be the case, husbands and wives the same way, masters and slaves the same way, um, the, the responsibility is to obey and to honor. What's the difference between honor and obey? Okay. All right, so obey, you can externally obey as a man pleaser, as it says with slaves, but obedience, uh, honor would come from inside, yeah. Um, actually, I, I think the difference, um, there, there, I agree with that, by the way. I think, though, the difference is, one is actually doing what they say, and the other one is treating them the way they should be treated, okay? Um, there's an issue that comes up that I don't want to deal with, and that is when does a child stop being a child? Is it at 18? Is it when they get married? Is it forever? Some people would say forever. I think the obedience here, the word that's used of children, is that actually that of adolescence, from what I understand. Um, there's a word for small children, there's a word for older children, and this is the word for older children. Older children obey. Um, Obedience stops. My mom, I, if my mom asks me to do something, I will do it for her out of honor, not because I'm obeying my mother, okay? Um, and, and I think there's that line that has to be taken care of. But no matter who you are, whatever age you are, you're going to be honoring your parents, treating them with the respect that they deserve. Um, and that was actually then a command to everybody. Obedience, I think, is for those who are younger. Let's move on though. And one thing I forgot to mention is everyone, the time when there's responsibilities and relationships, there's always somebody who is in a sense in the relationship, in the position of power. And there's always a warning that goes with it. So with husbands, there's a warning that goes with this, of what you're not supposed to do. No instruction to the wife, she's supposed to submit. But to the husband, it is do not be harsh. Um, it's you're told to uh, live in an understanding way with your wife. Um, we're told to honor her as a weaker vessel. There's always these other instructions to the person in power. So for the children, it's cut and dried, honor and obey. Um, what's the instruction for the parents? 
Actually, let's just go with fathers. Why does it say fathers instead of parents here? Every passage that deals with this says fathers, not parents. Why fathers? Peter, why fathers, not, not parents? Head of the house, what does that mean? Head of the house. Here's a, a really practical bit of advice from the scripture. Fathers, you are totally responsible for what happens in your home. You're responsible for your wife. Um, you're supposed to, to um, um, do like Christ did and, and see to her spiritual well-being, not just her physical well-being. But you are responsible for the upbringing of the children. You may delegate it to your wife but you can't delegate it and ignore it. And let's be honest, that tends to be the pattern, right? Haven't you heard it? My wife's in charge of the children. My wife's in charge of the children. No, Christian fathers, you are responsible for what happens. Um, those of you who run a business, who's in charge? Who's responsible? You are. If things go wrong underneath you, it's your responsibility. If you delegate your responsibility to your wife and things go well, praise the Lord. You delegate it to your wife and things go south, you're the one who's responsible. So the responsibility falls on the fathers. I think though what, what he's going to say here applies to both fathers and mothers, but I would say this. If, if you as a father see that your wife is doing what this passage says she shouldn't do, then it's your responsibility to lovingly correct her and say, be careful now. So it doesn't even tell you in this passage what to do. It does in Ephesians. What does it say in Ephesians? Yeah, but be, uh, before that, that's the warning that goes with it. What's the instruction in Ephesians? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the actual command. This is the command for children, command for fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, now, what's the warning? Do not provoke, Do not provoke them to anger and uh, do not discourage them. I think, personal opinion, but I think this is typical of fathers. They tend to be a little harsh with their children at times. Not always, I'm just, just an observation. Bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, I think sometimes moms may at times be a little too lenient with children. And so you have to kind of merge these two together, but the father's responsible. You know, I, I know a man whose son, he told me, he said, yeah, my wife's turning him into a mama's boy. He has no discipline. He doesn't obey. It's like, no, no, your wife is not turning him into a mama's boy. You are turning him into a mama's boy because you should step in and deal with that situation. On the other hand, fathers and wives, I would encourage you if you see provoking and causing discouragement that we step up and we deal with that. 
Okay, let's go back. We said, what if we have bad parents? What's the children's responsibility? To obey. What if we have rebellious and disobedient children? We're still to bring them up in the nurture and discipline of the Lord, and we still are not to provoke or discourage them. It probably becomes more challenging as a child becomes a disobedient child or a rebellious child, but it's still what we're supposed to do. Our responsibility is our responsibility, period. Okay, let me stop and take comments. So you may be bursting at the seams, ready to say something. Rod is, okay. No, <laughs> it, it, it would be to, well, to provoke something means co to cause to happen, right? A provocation is an intentional thing to cause them to, well, doesn't have to be intentional. So um, if, if, you're, if your attitude is such that you're causing them to bristle under that, um, then you may want to find a different approach to how you're going to deal with them. Yep. Um, well, it, once they're in the disobedience stage, this becomes much, much, much more difficult to do. Um, the, you know, there's a child rearing class. No. <laughs> 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 um, I, I, I think it would, uh, yeah. What's, I think what's going to happen is you need an incredible amount of wisdom for this. But the, um, the comment that was made over here, you can obey on the inside without really obeying on the outside. Um, as parents, and I wish I could go back and raise all my kids again, but it's not the outward obedience that we're after. Um, the goal is not to raise them to obey the rules. The goal is to raise them to love the rules. Uh, and the rules being God's commands, not our rules, God's commands. Um, and, and that's what the discipline and instruction of the Lord is. I, I'll be honest, I don't think unless you are living like this, they're ever going to see that, right? Um, not that we can live that way perfectly, but, but if it isn't something that's, that is um, a part of who you are, uh, the kids are, they could still end up coming up perfect because of God's grace. Not perfect, but pretty good because of God's grace but um, but I don't think then that you've actually done that they've they've been influenced in other places but it has to come from them seeing you so you're teaching them the importance of loving God's law and obeying God's law from the heart Jenna yes And that's so disappointing, right, when that happens? <laughs> I, I only, especially I see the stubbornness, the drivenness, 
also playing into Kelly and saying, you know, you handled that situation, and now that you're 14, that's a loss. You didn't know the same way. And so when, when I hear provoking, that's where I take it. You know, we're, we're their teachers. And we can't say, don't act that way in that situation when you do. Yeah. You know, and so it ultimately falls on us. Yeah. And if we're following all those commandments to follow them, yeah, we don't have a problem. But we're human. Yeah. Let me come back to what Rod said about provoking. I, I think, Rod, sometimes it's, that, that's the, it's a hard question to answer because every child is different. But, but you probably know it when it happens because the way that you discipline causes um, a, 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 a big reaction that makes you have to stand back and say, maybe that wasn't the right way to approach this, this child. And some children are hard to provoke or at least outwardly, they don't seem like they're being provoked. But the, the way that we deal, and I, I think the harshness, um, not being harsh, but we could start throwing out things, but I think it would be different for every family. I think listening to them when, when before you discipline, you know, it's, it's so easy to say, you did this and boom, here's the discipline. Well, it's not that you're waiting for them to give you an excuse, but it would be nice to hear wh why what happened happened and so on. So it's just easy for us to become the disciplinarian and boom, this, this happened, this is the problem. I know I've, I've even found at school um, uh, that there's, there's two ways to approach a discipline issue. A kid pulls his cell phone out in class or he's tardy all the time. One is just to boom, nail him. The other is to pull him up after class and say, okay, we've got an issue here. Why, why do you keep doing this and let him talk to you? And the second approach works a whole lot better than the first approach when it comes to children at school and children at home as well. Well, my thought is, is that, that, you, that we can begin to be children far before that. When we're obedient to God because we love him. We love him because he first loved us. And so the, the, that same practice Thank you. 
And it's an interesting point. The people who are raising children are, are young people. I, I know to those of you who have kids, you don't think that, but when you're 20 years old and you have your baby, first baby, you're, you're pretty young. Uh, and, and, and there's a lot of maturity that takes place and God designed it that way. And we grow with our children and we learn with our children. And so a lot of mistakes get made. So um, ultimately their salvation is God's responsibility and he uses us, but still we have that responsibility. Now, I don't know if we have time to get to slaves and masters. In one sense, this one doesn't uh, affect us quite as much. A lot of people will uh, say this is employee employer. Um, that's a little bit of a stretch because Slave and master is a really different dynamic than employee-employer. Uh, the Roman culture was a slave culture. More than half of the people were slaves. We think of slaves as somebody working out on the plantation. Their slaves were doctors and lawyers and accountants and teachers. People who had been captured in war who were slaves with absolutely no right. They could be asked to work 12 hours a day or 15 hours a day for nothing other than being provided for. Um, so there's a, a, a pretty significant difference. However, there is one thing that is very, very similar, and that is when we are being asked to do something, there's a certain way that we're supposed to do it. And you know what? I don't know if we can, we can quite get to this, but um, I, I just want to say this. I think... This sec, this why should have started here. This section helps really understand this, because what Paul does is he says to slaves, "Everything you do is for the Lord. Um, when you're working for your master, you're not working for your master. You're working for God. You're supposed to work heartily, as if Jesus Christ Himself said to do this." In fact, uh, we'll have to cover this next week, but go to, go to 1 Peter, because I want you to see this. Um, I, I think it really helps with all of these, because it's easy for us as husbands and wives to look at our situation and say, you know, I, you just don't understand, Scott, what my wife is like, or you don't understand what my husband is like, um, or you don't know what my parents are like, or you don't know what my kids are like. Well, we can... Uh, understand slaves and masters because we can understand a slave as one who has zero rights and no recourse. So watch what Paul said Paul Peter says in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter started chapter 2 verse 13. 
he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Um, and by the way, these are human institutions as well. And, he, and, and you have to remember the context of Peter, the people were under severe persecution. And Peter is writing to them to encourage them to hold up under severe persecution. Their government is actually persecuting them. Now, what does Peter say? Be subject, why? For the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now go down to verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Did you hear that phrase twice? To do this, and I don't think this is just for slaves, this is a gracious thing in God's eyes. In other words, it is a thing that pleases God. It's what we're supposed to do. And then he goes on to say, watch this in verse 21. You know who the primary example of one who suffered unjustly is? Jesus Christ. Put Jesus into any one of these relationships and Jesus was willing to bear the most unjust situation for his father. And the result of it was the most gracious thing that's ever happened. And that is the grace flowed to all men because of that. So starting in verse uh, 21, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. Look at the very next verse. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And then he goes on to talk about wives and husbands and masters and slaves. Ultimately, all of this comes down to this is a gracious thing. This pleases God. It causes God to be glorified, which you go back to here, everything is done for God's glory. It's a picture to the world. Like Christ's death is a picture to the world. It's a picture to the world in miniature of who we are as believers. And anytime we step up and demand our rights, my wife did that, so I'm not gonna love her, sorry. It's an ungracious thing. My husband did this, so I'm not submitting. It's ungracious. My parents are, um, are, are provoking me to anger. Yes, they might be. You still obey them. My children are not obeying. You still raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, and you still don't provoke them and, and all of that. My, my boss is, is overworking me. Do it hardly as unto the Lord. This employee is, is not doing what he's, so I'm gonna be vindictive toward him. No, um, masters, we didn't even read that. Masters, treat your, your um, slaves fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. 
And that's the key on masters, is they have a master in heaven as well. So that's the, the kind of the overview. Now, you can spend a lot of time with each one of these, but I think this is the key for us. There's responsibilities. They're not complicated, right? Everybody can know them, what we're supposed to do. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It models what Christ did for us on the cross. Any comments before we finish up? Okay, we've taken care of it. All right, so just go out and do that and, and everything will be great. No, this is where we come back, cycle back around. This is the picture of who we're to be. You cannot do this without the Holy Spirit at work. You can't, the Holy Spirit isn't gonna be at work unless you're allowing the peace of Christ to rule in your heart, unless you're allowing the word to dwell in you richly, which means we spend time with him and his word and unless we are focused on bringing God glory in our lives. These things won't follow unless that is there. This won't happen unless the Holy Spirit is moving in us. So let's go ahead and pray.